Before we get started today, I do want to make special mention of Beth and Lucy. Beth and Lucy Haddock have sacrificed time with their father, Kevin, uh, who has been up here working on the sound system. You might notice that you can hear better today. And uh, if you don't like it, then don't tell me about it. But uh, you might notice that uh, he's been working on that. And uh, we appreciate Kevin and we appreciate especially uh, Beth and Lucy. I know, I know it's hard to sacrifice time away from dad or from husband, but uh, we appreciate each one of you. As we begin today, I want you to, to look with me at Acts chapter 27 and especially in Acts chapter 28. But I want to consider when life gives you lemons. You know, in life, it seems like a lot of times things go bad. Things don't go exactly how we're hoping, and sometimes it's troublesome. You know, you get that really, really bad day, the no good, absolutely terrible things just aren't working the way you plan. You wake up and it's your birthday, it's July 4th, you're born on Independence Day, and you look upstairs and your roof is falling, or your ceiling is falling in. Uh, that was Danny Sanders' birthday present this past week as the the air conditioner had started to leak and you you wake up and you know you're hoping for this great day and it just so happens that things don't go that way I consider in in life there's a lot of times that things don't really go how you expect things don't go how you hope and then there's there's trouble well when I think back to Paul and the life of Paul and we're going to look at the the end of his life especially uh, in Acts chapter 28, well, later in his life, but in, in Paul's life, there were a lot of times that he had troubles. He had things that he had, to, he had to work through. He had a lot of times where he got lemons, so to speak, and he had to figure out how to make the best of it. You know, there was a time that, that Paul was thrown into prison. Well, it just so happens they throw Paul into prison and he writes the Bible. There was another time we see that he was chained to a guard. And as he's, as he's chained, to the, chained to the guard, we find out that he converts the jailer. We see that these people go out and they're threatening to kill him. They're like, Paul, we're, we're through with you. We're going to kill him because he's, he's trying to teach this Christ thing. And they say that we're going to kill you. And he says, well, I desire to go and be with Christ, which is far better so it seems like everything they threw at him, he always had the, the lemonade, so to speak. He had something that was better, something that was exciting that he was looking forward to. So as you look at the life of Paul, today I want to look in Acts chapter 27 and especially in, verse, in chapter 28. But you're going to see when life gives lemons, instead of focusing on the problem, instead of getting tied down or bogged down in all the small details, we see that that he looks for something greater. Uh, if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles in Acts chapter 27, uh, I'll get you to read along with me. We'll be following through most of the chapter in verse chapter 28, so please do follow along. Also, I wanted to mention Chuck and uh, his wife are here. They just moved in from Washington, and we're so glad they're here. Along with everyone else that's visiting, we are glad you are here. Uh, but as we go back, to our, go back to our text in Acts chapter 27, begin in verse 41. It says, but striking a place, talking about the ship which they were on, but striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. Verse 42, and the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. 
But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. And the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. As we look here, we start out when life gives you lemons. We start out with shipwreck. You see the shipwreck that's taking place and I think of in the life in which we live, there's sometimes your ship runs aground. You see in verse 41 that that's exactly where they were. It says, striking a place where the two seas met. Things started to get off course. Uh, when I think about life, it seems like when one thing goes wrong, it's never just that. It always is something else too. There's, there's always, when the first thing goes bad, it seems like there's always something that stacks right on top of it. It seems as though when, when things start to go bad, they're only going to get worse before they get better. And I think of Satan's desire to bring us down. And I think of how things transpire, it seems, when things start to go bad, that they continue to get worse. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, it's talking about, about Satan and his devices. And it says, lest Satan should take an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We, we are aware of the things that he uses to strive and bring us down. I think of when your ship runs into ground, like the ship there in verse 41, and I think it's, it's an opportunity. Now that opportunity might be one that where you use that opportunity for a great thing, but at the same time, it could be an opportunity that Satan says, look, I've got him now. I've got her now. Right now when things are really bad, I'm going to jump in and I'm going to strike. And so I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 where, where we've got to be ready, we've got to be aware, be not ignorant of Satan's devices. I think of Luke chapter 4 as, as Satan is tempting Jesus. You can look at the temptations and it says, now when the devil had ended every temptation, notice at the very end of the verse in Luke chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, he departed from him until an opportune time. He said, until he got kicked down again, until there was an opportunity that looked like this is a good chance. I'm going to get Jesus this time. I'm going to take away everything that, that his purpose is because I'm going to make him fall. As I look at uh, the ship running aground, I understand that it could be in your life the ship runs aground. It could be that things start to fall apart. But just as within our life, it doesn't stop with your ship running aground. Because right after ship runs aground, as you look at the end of verse 41, what do you see happens? The ship starts to fall apart. It starts to break apart. That front part got mounted in the dirt, and now the ship starts to break apart behind them. Things continue to get worse. I think of Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11 where it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. Be able to stand against what, what Satan throws at you as it gets worse, as things continue to go downhill, we see that for Paul, they hit the ground and now the ship's breaking apart and it won't be but a second and we see that they're, they're on pieces. Some are swimming and some are on pieces floating to land. They have to make the best of the situation at this point because there's no other hope. 
It's time to get to land where you find safety, where they can find life. And you see in verse 42 through 44 that their life is spared. When you think about their life being spared, we're talking especially about their, their physical life, but I can't help but think about the spiritual side of life. Within the spiritual side of life today, we can have our lives spared, spiritually speaking. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We're talking about spiritual life. We're talking about life that is in Christ, which lasts for eternity. Now, as we get to the end of this, this context, at the very beginning of the shipwreck, I want you to notice in verse 1 and 2 in chapter 28, and the rest of the time we'll be spending our time in Acts chapter 28. It says, now when they had escaped, in verse 1, they then found out that the island was called Malta. And it says, and the natives, if you look in the, uh, uh, the King James, I believe it says barbarians, not referring to these are crazy people that are out to kill us, but rather barbarians because they spoke a different language and they didn't, they didn't understand one another as would have been the common, the common identity within their time. So barbarous is to identify those who did not speak the same language. So in verse 2 it says, And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. I think about the times that I'm cold, and then you add in wet. And that makes for a miserable day. That makes for a time when you are just livid. You're tired of the problems that are going on, so we've got... We've got Paul that goes from having the ship that runs aground, the ship that he's on as he's on his way to Rome, uh, not necessarily on good circumstances, but as he's being taken to Rome, uh, we see his ship runs aground, we see that his ship's breaking apart, we see that he's cold and he's wet, and then who comes in, who steps in? Notice that these barbarians, these people that, that were there, it says they showed unusual kindness. They helped them when they were cold and wet, and miserable. I think about the Christian life. Within the Christian life, we're to be like these, quote, barbarians, these uh, natives, if you're reading the New King James, with these people that were so friendly to them. We see a Christian example almost of showing an unusual kindness. I think of Mark chapter 12 and verse 31, where we see the great command, and then in verse 31 you see the second. It says, the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We see the, the design behind God's plan as, as the love is shown to Paul and those that were on the ship, that were in the wreck. We see that the love is shown by the natives. We see that they show unusual kindness. I believe that we can take great hope in the problems that Paul faced. He still found those that were willing to help. Not only do we see shipwreck, but as the sake of time, we're going to have to hurry on. But next we see that he's snake bit. Go down to verse 3, 4, and 5. In chapter 28 of Acts chapter 28, it says, But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened to his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom, though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. They said, Look, this Paul, 
he must be a really bad dude. He got spared by that shipwreck. He got spared being able to swim to shore. He was spared through all that, but he's a bad dude. And therefore, this viper came out and it got him. He's going to get his due reward. Paul, we see in verse 3, is struck by the viper. Once again, things continue to go downhill. He was shown the unusual kindness, but now he's back on the downgrade. He gets bitten by what they refer to as a viper, and there's no doubt that this viper would have been something that was revered and honored as a venomous snake, not just your, your average garter snake, not just something that wasn't venomous, but rather they knew the locals said, Whew, there's a problem here. He's going to die because he's been struck by the viper. Talking about something that was deadly, that was dangerous, poisonous, and would surely have killed him. You see in verse 4 though, not only did he get struck by the viper in verse 3, but then he becomes doubted. The locals look at him and they say, ooh, he's a bad dude. Got to stay away from him, that, that Paul. So, so he goes from being struck at first to then these people are saying, well, because you're so bad, that's why that happened. Makes me think of Job. Gene Higdon said he falls asleep every time you mention Job. Uh, but don't, don't fall asleep today. It's just one verse. Job chapter 4 and verse 7, uh, it says, Remember now whoever perishing, whoever perished being innocent, talking to Job, uh, because they're like, look, something's going on with you, Job, and that's why all this problem's coming in your life. He said, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever caught up, cut off? Basically, they were saying, Job, you've been really bad, and therefore things are falling apart in your life. We see here in, in Paul's life, as he's there on the island of Malta, they're saying the same thing. They're saying, Paul, you've been bad, and therefore we know that's why you got bit by that viper. And in their mind, surely he was going to die very soon. But as you carry on, we see that Paul's life is preserved. It isn't something where, where, Job, I mean, where Job was struck with the, the sickness and the loss of wealth and the loss of health and all the things that went on in his life. It wasn't because God was mad at him as far as Reading through the story, we understand that it was Satan's desire to bring him down. God allowed him to, to go through that, but yet we see that that wasn't how it worked. Within Paul, it wasn't because Paul was so bad that he was struck by the viper. You can see rather that, well, as you, you think about God's teachings, within Matthew 5 and verse 45, we see Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's not about you were so bad, that's why this is taking place. Uh, however, that's what the locals thought. But we see that Paul is preserved in verse 5 and 6. If you look in verse 5 and 6, it says, but he shook off the, feature, the creature into the fire and it suffered no harm. There was no harm that came to Paul through this. And notice verse 6, he says, However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time, they saw no harm come to him. They changed their minds and said, He was a God. I do think it's interesting that as these people, the natives, as they looked on, they were expecting, they were waiting for him to fall down dead. In my mind, there's little doubt that they... They were expecting this without ever having seen something of this happen. I imagine they had seen something of this very nature and they knew when you got bit by that viper that bit him, that struck him, that, 
that latched on to his hand, when you got bit by that, by that viper, your life was soon coming to an end. And so they're astonished as they see that, that Paul's still alive, he's still going. And in verse, verse 6, it says they changed their mind and said he was a god. It was a god. It was a god thing. And they're putting Paul in, in that revere. They're, they're revering him as though he's a god. But rather we see that through all these problems, we see that his life is preserved. As you look back at Mark chapter 16 and verse 18, it actually refers to that of uh, the followers of Christ. It says they will take up servants. And if they drink anything deadly, it wasn't going to hurt them. It wouldn't, wouldn't harm them. It says they'll lay hands on the sick. They'll recover. Uh, possibly this is one of those times that Paul was preserved by that miraculous nature. Uh, and it would definitely seem as though uh, within, the, within the context here. And so as we look at the, the way things go downhill, first he's shipwrecked and then he's snake bit, we see that, that things just seemed like they were going south. And then they, they look at, at Paul as a, as a god and we see, I can imagine that if we were there, I, I would believe that P Paul used every opportunity that he had whether he was able to speak to them in their native tongue or not, or how that transpired here on Malta, it doesn't specifically say, but however it transpired, I believe he tried to surely bring them into tune with the true God, the God of heaven. We see that Paul is preserved. We see his life is saved through the being snake at this time when he was snake bit, but also I want you to notice sickness in verse 7 through 10. Now, this sickness that we're talking about isn't Paul's sickness, but the sickness is rather, it's one who resides on the island. Let's start in verse 7. It says, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the fa father of Publius lay sick of the fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when that was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways. And when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Understanding throughout scripture that, that miracles were used for the purpose of showing that Christ was the Messiah. I have no doubts that Paul's purpose here would have been to teach that of the Christ. We see that care is shown in, in verse 7, we've got, uh, we've got this person who's showing kindness, a great citizen. His name's Publius, and, he, and everyone looks to him. He's a leading citizen, and people, people would have known him. But then we see that it's his father who lay sick. And Paul is there to be able to help. They already revered him as a god, but yet understanding that he would have wanted to, to teach them of the true God of heaven, we see that God's power is shown through Paul or evidenced through Paul as he's able to heal. So we see that care is shown by Paul. I think of John chapter 20 where it says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But then it goes on to say, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. You see the purpose of miracles. You see the point, the reason behind it. 
so that people can believe in the Christ. So we see not only is care shown, but we also see that care is shared. We saw that these, these natives were very nice way back at the beginning in verse 1 and 2 when they showed unusual kindness. And now as it comes for them to be at the time to leave, it's time to depart from the island. In verse 10 it says, they honored us in many ways and they provided us such things as were necessary. We see the kindness once again, the care that is shown by the natives. Now within all this, as you go down through chapter 28, you might, have noticed, you might notice as he sails away to go to Rome in verses 11 through 16. And then he's there to appear for his sentencing in chapter 17 through verse 21. But I want to last talk about within all these problems, I believe we see that Paul uses the opportunity to show that rather than himself being the God, that the God of heaven. It's not explicitly stated, but I believe, I believe we can understand that no doubt that would have been Paul's desire. We see that he, his desire is to, to help them upon the island as he, as he aids those who are sick and all sorts of diseases. We see that he, he is saved, his life is spared when he's bit by the viper. And that gets us all to the point in Acts chapter 28 where he goes to Rome so that he can appear before Caesar. And we'll notice in verse 20 of Acts chapter 28 that he stands before Caesar. And he says, for this reason, because he wanted to be able to stand up for the Jews, he says, for this reason, therefore I have called for you to see you and speak with you because for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. You understand that, that all these people hearing of the church well, in fact, we can go ahead and look at verse 22. If you skip down, it says, this is, this is the council speaking back to him, but it says, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning this sect, talking about those people. He says, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. There's lots of bad things being spread. There's lots of bad things being told. And so we see Paul says, because of that, he says, that's why I'm here to stand before you, Caesar, to tell you and to be the hope of Israel. So as we see Paul standing there, he stands before Caesar for the hope of Israel. And while he's there, we'll notice that he proclaims the Christ. Go ahead and follow along in verse 22 through 24. It says, but we desire to hear from you what you think for concerning the sect. We know that it is spoken against everywhere. Now verse 23 so when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken. I think of how everything went so sour at the beginning. I think of how everything went downhill so quickly you might say for Paul's life as, as he's on this as he's on this journey to to Rome because people are mad at him anyways and and he's standing up for God and then we see that he's in the shipwreck and they're stuck on the island they're deserted on the island with the the natives that speak a different language and he how he uses everything to be profitable now when I think about when life gives you lemons and you get something really sour I think the true lemonade, the true 
joy, the true best thing that can happen would not be just having great things go on in your life, but rather that of encouraging the Christ. As you see what, what Paul did here, it wasn't, it wasn't about him and since his life was so bad that he was worn by the fire and everything was great, but I believe the point always went back to being able to further the kingdom. As we talk about when life gives you lemons, I want you to think more seriously about the spiritual life and less about the physical life. I understand that things can go bad in your physical life, but understand that's still nothing. The true happiness, the true joy is in the furtherance of the kingdom. The true joy is in understanding that others can go and live with Christ and spend an eternity in heaven. I think as Paul looks here, he pro proclaims the Christ. Notice that he was teaching and we get down to verse 24 and it said there's, there, there were those that, that believed. Now just like today, at the very end of that verse it says, and there were some that, that disbelieved. There were some that, that didn't change. There were some that didn't give them lives to Christ, but there were some that did. And I encourage you and, and myself to strive to take the opportunities that we have to do just what Paul did to share that gospel message. We see that he's, he's taken to Rome and he gets there on, on different circumstances than most would choose to travel. But yet while he's there, he tries to do what's best. I think of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. It says, and be ready always to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The idea is being willing, being ready, and being excited to share the good news of Christ, the, the soul-saving message that can purify man from sin. Now, within his teaching... If you follow along in verse 25 and following, we'll notice that Paul points to the prophecy. This is actually a prophecy of old in Isaiah chapter 6. You can look it up later in verse 9 and 10, but, or you can look it up now and it says identically what verse 26 and 27 says. But in verse, starting in verse 25 of Acts chapter 28, it says, So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying... Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. So that I should heal them. <laughs> we see they built up a brick wall. They said, I don't want it. They said, I don't want to hear it. So they shut their eyes. They closed their ears. They closed their hearts so that they're not willing to understand. So they're not willing to believe. Notice in verse 28, it says, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Paul points to the prophecy in Isaiah chapter six, verse nine and 10. And he points to the prophecy and he says, look, you might not want it, but I'll tell you what. There's a world out there that still needs the Christ. And he says it's, it's their turn. Now it followed along in prophecy and for instance in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47 it says and that repentance and remission of sins could be preached in his name among all nations and then he says beginning at Jerusalem. Within God's design it started, it started within that seed line, the chosen ones of Israel. It started within 
within them, but then it was extended from them to the Gentiles, to the entire world. Within the whole world, all people had that opportunity. I think of Romans 1.16, I mentioned in a sermon not too long ago. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And then it says, for the Jew first, and then also to the Greek. It's open from just the Jewish, just the chosen ones of Israel, just the children of Israel within the old law, to that of the entire world within the new law. And so I believe as we look at Paul and he points to the prophecy, he's saying, look, this is you. You can be blessed through the Christ. And then finally, let's notice verse 30 and 31 where Paul preaches the kingdom. Sorry, I'll catch verse 29. It says, and when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. So they're all, they're all worked up because now it's open to, the, open to the Gentiles as well. And then in verse 30, one of the best parts of the whole, whole reading. Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. It says he received, received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. If you think back to the, the beginning of all what transpired, when Paul gets to Caesar, he says, I did this for the hope of Israel because I want all people to be able to hear the truth. The point is in verse 31 is no one was forbidding him. No one was fighting and saying, you can't teach that anymore. And that's why Paul had appealed to Caesar to start with. But we see that through all this, Paul makes his way to Rome. Through all the troubles that happen along the way, he gets to Rome and now he can preach the Christ. I want to encourage you, as you think about the sad times and the bad times and the things that go wrong, look for an opportunity to teach the Christ. There's a whole world out there full of people that have a soul. And within God's desire for us, within God's design for the church is that we do what we can to help the entire world. We see that the son was offered. We see that it says for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's here for those that are in sin. And now we need to share that good news with them so that all can partake in the promises, in the hope that is provided, the salvation that is found in Christ. As we go out into the world throughout this week, I encourage you, look for opportunity. That opportunity might come in the form of a shipwreck. What I mean is a problem. That form of opportunity might come in the, in the sense of something that goes terribly wrong. But I encourage you to seek out the opportunities, to seek out the, the chance to share the gospel with those you come into contact. If you haven't given your life to Christ, I want you to know it is the greatest choice you can ever make. When we talk about when life gives you lemons, there's sin in your life so that you can make lemonade, that is, so that you can have partake of the blessings of Christ. You can turn away from sin and you can find forgiveness. I'm not saying that we try to follow after sin, but rather we can make something greater. Without sin, there was no need for Christ. But because man sins, we have the opportunity to find forgiveness, and that's found in Christ. If you haven't given your life to Christ, it's very simple. Understanding that Jesus came for a purpose, 
Jesus came to seek and to save those which were lost in Luke 19.10. We see that he came for those that had sinned. And he came so that they could have life. They could have it more abundantly. Within his design is that we turn from sin, we turn from what the world has to offer, the, the lusts of the world to seek after Christ, something much greater. And then within that, we see, we see the new birth in John chapter 3. We see, we see the, the teaching in Acts chapter 2 as they were told to repent and be baptized, to turn away from what was in the past and to pursue after the future. If you haven't given your life to Christ, that's what I want you to do today. Pursue after the future. Giving up the life of sin. Being willing to be immersed into water, which is a, a baptism, which is a, the immersion, which is a symbol, a, a washing away that, that spiritually takes place because we're following God's commands. If you haven't given your life to Christ, do it this morning. Do it right now. Come as we stand and sing.